question. What's life without a dream? What's, what's life without, without dreams and, and aspirations? You know, dreams, they, they, they motivate us to, to move forward. Dreams keep us going when it looks desolate, when things look like they're not happening. happening. We, we grab on to our dreams and we press on, we, we move forward. They, you know, the, our dreams, they influence and often are the seedlings of your vision. One Chapel has a dream. Our, our big dream here at One Chapel is to create a culture of disciple making. We, we as a church, are at, at a return, if you will. We're at the beginning, once again, of this incredible, this incredible shift that, that is happening. I believe God is intentionally, he's calling us to stop living out of a cultural and personal individuality and to start living out of, the, out of our kingdom identity, who, who God is in us and what he wants to do through us. You know, the, the reality is the Bible calls us, he says, the Bible says that we are God's people. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Those of us right here sitting in this room and watching, we, that's just, this is who God says we are. He calls us the bride of Christ. And we've been, we've been called to make disciples. We've been talking about that for a week now. We're going to continue to delve into this. Because I believe that if, if we step into this and we live our, our God-given identity and calling by the grace of God, growth and fruit will spring up even out of the most desolate places, out of the most, of the most painful things, out of the most parched grounds. There's a place in, in Chile that, that's been recorded as the driest place on earth, and it's called the, the Atacama Desert. This is what it looks like. The driest place on earth. And in fact, it's so dry and so harsh that NASA's astrobiologists, they use this location to perform tests to help them better understand what the surface of Mars is like. But underneath this dry ground, there are over 200 different variations of plants and flowers. They've been discovered. And, and what's amazing about this is that every now and then, the climate change shifts and the rains come, and, and the valley is flooded. And as a result, all these little seedlings that are under this dry desert, they, they begin to germinate, and they start to grow. And in the middle of this desert, there is a phenomenon called a super bloom. It's, it's the same place. It's, it's hard to believe. It's this beautiful picture. Hundreds of varieties, millions of flowers and plants, they burst through the ground. This is such a great picture of who we are and what I believe we are on the precipice of. We, when we lay everything aside and Jesus is our priority. It's interesting. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. We've been saying it. But when we do it, when we actually live it, we align our lives for miracles. But the, the, the atmosphere shifts. Heaven begins to pour down its rain upon our lives. And the seeds that have been dormant in our hearts, they come alive. The growth, growth begins to happen like never before. Some of you have had seeds of discipleship planted in your, in your heart as a child in, in Sunday school, some of you maybe as a teenager at, at a, a, in, a, in a youth group or at, a, at some camp experience, 
Maybe as a young adult, you're at a, in a conference or, or on a mission trip. You've carried these, these dormant seeds that have been inside your heart, that have been in your life, things that have been spoken over you, something maybe God shared with you, God gave to you, a promise that he made. They're not bringing forth any fruit. They're not bringing forth any beauty, any color. They're not bringing forth any, any, any sort of vibrant life. They're not bringing forth any multiplication of discipleship. So the question is, how, how, how do we shift that atmosphere? How, how, do, how then do we as a church, what, what in our church culture needs to happen? Because we're, we're in, in this process, we're in process of redefining what it means to be a disciple in 21st century Central Texas. We're talking ab- about our values of, of presence, relationship, and mission. And we're stripping those things down to the most important elements and then reevaluating our tactics, reevaluating our strategies for making disciples of Jesus here and now. We often say we help people move from where they are to where, right? We, we, can, we can all say it. And, and we will always believe in that statement. But what does move look like? Ever thought about that? Like we can, we can all recite it. Oh yeah, as a church, we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. But what does move mean? What does it look like? We can always rattle off that thing. But I, I believe we have to understand what it fully means. That, that that word is an action word. It's not static. People don't grow in a static environment. There has to be movement. And there has to be nourishment to that. Matthew 28, 18 says this in the message version. Let's read this together. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. This is Jesus speaking. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. See, there there, there are real challenges to this. There there are real circumstances that come against this very word and us trying to live this kind of life. And those, those things are deeply rooted in culture, in the culture that we live in. And we need to move towards a more strategic approach to practicing the ways of Jesus together. Some, some of those examples of, of these cultural challenges quickly are, are busyness. I don't, I don't have time to do this. Right? Pastor Ralph says, spoiler alert, uh, we all have the same amount of time. Jonathan McReynolds says, I, has a song that says, I find time for the things that I cherish. I find the time to do those things. Another thing is a consumer-based challenge is what's in it for me? Like, like, like if I do this, then, then what do I get? Something else is maybe like a segmented lifestyle. Another challenge is, well, I, I kind of already have relationships. I already have a lot of things going on in my life. I got, I got a lot of good stuff happening, so I don't know if I have time for any of this and but, the, the, but if we really look at those relationships, what we have to evaluate those by is, are they producing disciples? 
Are they taking us past a surface level? Are we really exposing ourselves? Are we really talking? Not really exposing ourselves. Are we really talking? <laughs> Sorry. I heard myself say that and I was like, oh, that's not, I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> are we having real conversations? Are we talking about the things that we're carrying, the, the things that we're struggling with? Do we have those kinds of relationships? How about convenience-oriented? Is this, is, too, is, this, is this too hard for me? Discipleship baggage is another cultural challenge. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really into that kind of thing. Another is, is social media-driven. Listen, I love my life. Every, you look at social media. Everything about my life is, is on point. Everything on my life is 100. Everything in my life is great. But the reality is you're empty. You're, you're devoid of, of anything real. You're struggling. And some of these, listen, we can justify some of these things. They don't really seem all that bad. But the problem is these cultural challenges, they, com- they compete with discipleship. Why? Because they interfere with your definition of success. One of the greatest hindrances to spiritual formation and discipleship to Jesus is a faulty definition of success. The world has has force-fed us definitions of success that center around the wrong things, focusing on false gods like accumulation, like careerism, like comfort and convenience. When, when, and when we choose, when we choose, because make, make, no, make, that, make it clear that it is our choice. It is a choice that we make. When we choose to be driven by these faulty definitions of world culture, we sabotage our spirituality and our life is rooted in a counterfeit kingdom. So let that sink in. A kingdom of our own making and a false definition of what a successful life really looks like. And the yield of that, the the yield of this false definition, the yield of of succumbing to this, the yield of living my life by this definition is, is that it leaves you feeling anxious. It leaves you feeling more hurried. It leaves you feeling more alone. It leaves you feeling powerless. And ultimately what the Bible says that the wages of this kind of life is death. If your definition of success, if this is your definition of success, then your, your life driving factor Man, be careful, my brother. Be careful, my sister. Because the, the truth of the matter is, as however we choose to live our lives, right? Th- this this isn't, isn't enough. This is great. I love, hey, uh, you may not feel that way, but I love that you're here, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you're tuning in. But the, the, the reality of it is, is that, th- that God requires more of us. He wants more of us. He wants more of us, and he wants more for us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Less, you know, the, the Bible speaks about a day where, where many will stand before him, and they will say, well, wait, God, I was there on Sunday. But wait, God, I went on that mission trip. But wait, God, I did all these things, God. I, I did all these things. And God forbid that moment that you stand there, you hear the words that of him speaking, depart from me, for I knew you not. 
Because, because the, the reality of it is there, there is a, a, a correct definition of what a disciple is. And we've been, we've been talking about it. Let's look at that in Luke 9, verse 22 and 23 in the message version. It says this. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me. Anyone who intends to come with me has to, you see that? Has to let me lead. If you don't have that highlighted in your Bible, you probably should. Has to let me lead. You, you're, not the drive, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. Self-sacrifice is my way to finding yourself, your true self. <laughs> some, of, some of you may be thinking, well, well wait, wait a minute, Pastor. That's, that's not really what I was told. You know, when I, the, what the requirements were when I came down and, you know, I raised my hand. And I felt a little something, a little tingling inside of me. I came to the altar and, you know, I gave my light to the Lord. That, that really wasn't the requirements that were laid out before me that day. <laughs> that, that, that wasn't what was asked of me. Say, well, what I was told was Jesus was going to be good. He was going to take care of me. He was going to do everything for me and all those things. Man, I'm, I'm sorry, my brother. I'm sorry, my sister. So sorry. This is who God has called us to be. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. And although I, I'm sorry that you didn't hear it then, I'm so glad that you're hearing it now. Because, the, because like as, as Britt Hancock says, if you got air in your lungs, you still got an opportunity to do something. If you, if you have air in your lungs, if you are alive today, right now, that means you still have something to do. You still have an opportunity to follow Christ this way. The reality is our king, listen, our king, he submitted to the worst humanity could do. He allowed them their best shot at ridicule and suffering. He, he considered not his deity something to hold on to, but took the position of a slave. He humbled himself to the lowest position and endured the most agonizing death known to man. How could we be so arrogant to think that our comfort, that our, our prestige that, that, that is paramount, to think that, that this is enough? That, that, that this, is, this is what God died for. Just a moment to giving him a moment on a Sunday, giving him an hour on a Sunday is what he did. Listen, he didn't die to put for us to have a happy, a, a comfortable life. He, he didn't die for those things. He didn't die to put zeros in our bank account. He didn't die so that, so that we can have comfort and peace. He, he died, listen, so that we can exhaust hell. He died so that we can take people out of the grips of Satan and bring them into the life of Jesus Christ that's what he died for he died to redeem us he died to restore us and he's called us to something Jesus prayed father your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven this only happens through following the ways of Jesus not culture we must first follow in order to lead a church of disciple making Disciple making is, it is the divine infrastructure for heaven and the kingdom of God to pour out its rain upon us on a dry and weary land. 
And as we choose every day, give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. As we choose every morning, and we can do that together for the next 21 days. As we choose to follow and lead in disciple-making, that decision, that way of life, that definition of success will change everything. And what is, so, so what is Jesus inviting us into? One thing I want, I want, to, I want to just make this point. One, th- one thing that Jesus is invited, inviting us into is we are disciples, not converts. The, the Greek word here for, that is used for disciple is mathetes. And simply means just a learner a pupil, a follower, which, which is really common in, in the rabbinical schools of the first century Jewish culture. See, students would follow and pattern their lives after the rabbis. They would memorize their words and their ways of ministry. They would imitate their life and character. And then ultimately, after they've learned all that, they would begin to duplicate by having somebody come along with them and, and create their own disciples. Jesus duplicated this process with, with his disciples, leading them to a way of, of living, of teaching, of his ways, his way of sharing the kingdom of God with people. And that's what we're trying to capture here. That's what this series is, is all about. As author and pastor John Mark Homer, as he states so succinctly, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Converts are more about a belief system than a personal relationship. Following Jesus is, is, is a lifestyle, not a worldview. A disciple is not a, a convert to a belief system. Jesus didn't say, go, go into all the world and, and lead people into prayer. He said, go and make disciples. We can't just rely on belief. Belief, that's, a, that's just religion. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do we shudder at the belief in Jesus? Belief doesn't equal discipleship. <laughs> belief is actually the definition of religion. My daddy says, religion is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but in and of itself, it don't take you anywhere. Wise words from daddy. (laughs) Our very own missionary and church planner, Britt Hancock, he describes disciples as, as this way. A person who has a spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and social attachment to Jesus. We're using a, this, a technical definition for disciples that helps us move towards a, a fuller expression of what it means to pattern your life after Jesus. We're, this is what we're saying. Disciple is a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus who helps others become a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus. Listen, Savior and Lord, those are, those are, not, those are, are not just titles. Those are, those are descriptions of a relationship. We, we do what he says. We obey his orders. We, we let him direct our steps. When, when things are not clear, we wait on him. When, when we're in trouble, we turn to him. When we're successful, we attribute it to him. 
He is our rescuer. He is our master. He's not a heavy-handed ruler. He's gentle. He's loving. He's kind. And he actually describes himself this way to his disciples. He says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 16, 25 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. Jesus challenges all of us to give up all of our lives for, for all he has for us in this life. It's so interesting how we sing about it on Sunday. We sing about it just about every Sunday. We sing about giving it up. We sing about letting him have it all. We sing about, Lord, you're my everything. But sometimes it, it doesn't resonate into our lifestyles and how we live our lives. And this is who Jesus is calling us to be. It's all around us, but sometimes it takes a moment for us to understand and wake up and realize, oh, okay, God is calling me to something more, something different, something, something greater. Listen, I, I remember that moment. I remember living, a, a, just being born on Saturday and in church on Sunday. That's the way I was raised. And very active in the church that we, that we had been in, the church that we were coming from, just doing everything and being tired and not understanding why God really wasn't moving in the things that I was doing. Man, I was sacrificing for you, Lord. And the Lord says, man, you're, you're doing a lot of things, but you're doing them for yourself. You're, you're busy. You're busy at church. But are you busy with the things that I've called you to? And in those moments, God, God called me to understand that he has a purpose. It's, oh, just because I can doesn't mean that I should. Just, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. That's what we talk about. That's what we mean when we take everything that is before us and we lay it out before the king and we say, God, is this what you want me to do? And when he, when he gives us conviction, he gives us peace, that's when we begin to move. Grew up my whole life in church. And yet was devoid of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Was, was, was on the, 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 back then, the praise and worship team wasn't just a band. You know, we had to be more holy. We had to say praise and worship team. <laughs> was on the praise and worship team. But was empty inside. I was missing what God had for me. Church, I don't want you to miss what God has for you. It's special he has it just for you. And it doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter the decisions you make. I love how Pastor Ross says that God has an infinite amount of ways to get you back in line with what he's called you to do. And he wants to do that to you. He wants to do that for you this morning. He, he wants to do that for you for the rest of your life. <laughs> the bottom line is Jesus challenges us to give up all all of our life for his life. We're not just conforming to a belief system or a teaching or a new worldview. We're giving him everything. A disciple is someone who has a deeply personal and surrendered relationship with Jesus. So we're disciples. We're not converts. Another thing that we are is we are followers, not experts. The, you know, the DIY culture has just changed all kinds of home improvement possibilities for all of us, right? 
And like, it's like, man, where, where was all this back in the day, right? But, but what, what happened is as video, it became more, more easily shared and professionals started to show off their talent, right? These guys that did it all the time started to say, hey, look, this is how I do this, this is how I do this. And what we do is we start to tune into these videos and we start to watch these videos over and over. We get these secret steps behind what they're doing. We get a, like an inside view of what's happening. Not only that, but like products became more readily available. Like you can go and you can, you can watch all kinds of how-to videos right now on, on, on YouTube. And you can gain understanding by those things that you would otherwise never know. If you never stepped on a construction site, doesn't mean you don't need to, you can't watch a video to know what's going on, what's happening. But, but there's something that happens in, in, in that process that, that I kind of just want to point out. Because you, you get a video and you, you watch it, right? And you're like, you know what? I think I could do this. So you start watching this video. <laughs> Pastor, I was like, no, I, no, I don't, I don't ever say that when I watch videos. <laughs> you start watching this video. There's this process. You watch it. You're like, oh, I, I can do that. But then you, 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 you go and you get all your supplies. And then you, you watch a few seconds of it. Then you pause it and you rewind it. And you watch it again. You're like, and then you try it. And it don't work out. Then you have to pause it. You come back and you watch it again. And, and, then, you, and then you go try it again. And you, you may do that over and over again until you start to actually start to do it half right. But, but it's this action of pausing and rewinding, this action of watching it over and over and over again. You're not an expert at it. Listen, a disciple is not an expert at Christianity. It's, it's spending time reading. It's spending time doing. It's spending time talking. And then you, you do some more, and then you learn some more, and then you have more conversations. And then you say, man, I, I tried to do this, but I, I kind of messed this up. Well, hey, no, why don't you try this? It's, it's about this conversation. It's this culture that, that actually you begin to live and you begin to do, and, and now it starts to come out of you because you're repeating the process over and over and over again. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at what Jesus says, as he, how he describes a couple of his disciples in Acts 4.13. When he says, he says this, he says, when they saw the courage, the Bible says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This word ordinary is, is literally, in, it's, it almost has a Spanish kind of connotation to it. So I'm, I'm going to say it like with a, Spanish, a little bit of Spanish, idiotas. <laughs> it's literally what it means, idiotas. Just, it's ignorant. These men were considered ignorant, unlearned. Idiots, and listen, it's, it's not that God can't use some smart and wise people. It's not that. But listen, he specializes in using ordinary men. So that people will see Jesus instead of you. Galilee, they came from Galilee, wasn't, wasn't the most prestigious place to come from. They, they were not traditionally trained. They, they flunked out of school, but they had something else that was immediately obvious to the religious leaders. They looked and sounded like Jesus. Most, most people, they, they think discipleship is for, uh, for the spiritually deep or, or the spiritually immature. It's on both sides of the spectrum. But we are all disciples. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all, we're all advancing in our maturity together. Think about this. Jesus calls us to follow me, not study me. 
And don't get me wrong, it's, it's good, it's good, and we must study the word of God, and we, wanna, we gotta try to rem- memorize it and meditate on his word, but we have to be careful about thinking that the way to spiritual and eternal life happens when we become expert in knowing the Bible. And he actually gives a warning in, Luke, in John 5, 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to to me to have eternal life. You see, we don't don't think that we can expertise our way out of our human nature. We we don't see ourselves as capable of ridding ourselves of sin. We, We don't trust ourselves to be good enough or to be godly enough. We don't don't look to ourselves to close the chasm between us and God, between humanity and God. And and that that in itself, that sounds foolish to some people. But the Apostle Paul, again, he says it best in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. He says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God, I love that. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly. You hearing that? God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We are the foolish. We are the weak. We are the lowly, the despised. We are the nots, followers, not experts. But, but listen, he chose us. <laughs> but Jesus chose me. But Jesus chooses you. And this is what we have to understand. You see, God, he doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. That's what he does. Jesus wasn't looking for leaders who could serve. He recruited servants who he could make into leaders. Jesus recruited fishermen and tax collectors and ordinary men and women, just like us, to follow him, to adopt his ways, to live and work through and out of his spirit. The bottom line is Jesus has invited us into a relationship where we experience life transformation, power, love, wisdom, simply by following and being with him. And finally, we are, we're together, not alone. And 1 John 3 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Love is the way that we know Jesus. 
and the way we show Jesus. There are, there are no Lone Ranger Christians who just, just have some kind of, of personal spirituality. Christians, Christianity cannot be practiced as, as an isolated or individualized spirituality. You've heard, you've heard Pastor Ross say this many times. Like most, most people, when they, they wanna, they, if they, they want to practice spirituality on the, in those terms, you, you may have heard them say something like, well, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm, I'm just deeply spiritual, which is simply an excuse of I want to do spirituality on my own way. I, I don't want to conform to what Jesus is saying. I, I, I think I could do it better. We practice a communal faith where we all learn from each other. I, I am still learning. I'm still learning and I'm still growing just like a new believer. And I, I love that. I love that you can read scripture over and over and over again, that God will bring you back to a passage of scripture and show you something different. I love the, the visual that, that, that the word of God is like a diamond. There's so many facets. It's, it's the same, but God shows you just a little something different every time you read it. That's what he wants to do. That's why we're always learning and growing. We must practice the ways of Jesus together. Together. We have to do it together. When we, can, when we connect in community with honesty, with vulnerability and love, the gospel, the message, it comes alive in us. 1 John 1 says this in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. At one chapel, there are no perfect people allowed. We are, we are all imperfect. And we all need Jesus. And we can all change culture together. We can all become disciple makers together. Do you believe that? Come on, somebody say amen if you believe that. You're still with me, right? We all, listen, we all have to admit that we're in a process. We're all at different levels and different stages of the process, and that's okay. That's good news because forgiveness is, right, is, is new every morning. Mercies are new every morning, and we can step into those things fully to understand who God wants and what God wants to do in us. This is the bottom line. Hey, guys, come, come on and help me finish this morning. Fellowship is created when we begin to share vulnerability. Fellowship is created when we begin to walk with people hand in hand, when we begin to spend time with one another. And, and, and man, I, I know the first thing that comes to mind when we begin to talk about groups and we begin to talk about spending time and, and setting time aside is, man, I don't know, I, I, I mean, I'm busy. I'm really busy. And, and that, that may be true. But it's a, it's a choice that we make. It's a choice that, that, we begin, that we make every week, every day to say, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to start that tomorrow. Tomorrow morning as we gather across all campuses to, to pray, to set aside time for God to reevaluate our schedules, reevaluate our lives, to lay all that we have, all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our aspirations, all the things we're looking for and we're looking towards and we're working towards to lay them at God's feet.
the, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an illustration of this, this long rope. And this long rope is just kind of, if you can imagine it going around this room several times. And the very tip of it is painted a, a color red. And this example, it's, it's the representation of your life on earth. We work hard to be comfortable. It's innate in us. We work hard to have things. It's, it's innate in us. We, we work hard to, to, to make our lives better. It's part of the selfishness that just kind of comes out of us. What we, what we have to choose to do is to lay down those things for eternity. The Lord calls us to store up our treasures in heaven. Store up our treasures where the thief does not come in and moths do not destroy and rust does not come in and destroy your treasures. The question this morning is, where are you storing up your treasures? What, what drives you every morning and every day? What is it? Is it, is it your status? Is it, is it, your, is it your wealth? Is, is it your legacy? Is, is it your family? Is it your wife? Is it your kids? Or is it a, a life surrendered to Christ? Because all those things, not necessarily bad. It's just when they're in the wrong place is where life begins to get convoluted. So we have to decide, we have to choose to live a life first and foremost for Christ, surrendered to him, giving him everything and all that we are, laying it at his feet and saying, Lord, if it's not of you, take it from me. If it's not for you, I don't want to do it. The bottom line is that we need each other to do this. We need each other to follow Jesus, to grow spiritually, and to become disciples of Jesus. So we are asking everyone to belong, that, who belongs to one chapel to be in a consistent weekly small group, prioritizing the practice of the ways of Jesus together. This is how it happens. This is how we begin to lay our life down and as we help others and others help us, we begin to cultivate a culture of disciple making. As we close this morning, as we evaluate the things that are going on in our lives, as we lay everything down before our King, before our Lord, we just, I just want to pray over you this morning, just right there where you're at. Father, we come before you. And I thank you for your word. Your word and your truth, Lord, has gone out, Father. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that it, it penetrates our heart, Lord. And that it challenges us, Lord. Father, I, I bind condemnation right now. I don't want anybody to feel condemned. I don't, I don't want anybody to feel guilty. Those, those are not of you, Lord. And so we just bind those things right now. And we thank you, Lord. We, we counter that by thanking you for your mercy and your grace. That the Bible tells us that are new every morning. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are able. You have a multitude, God, an infinite amount of ways to bring us back into your will. And, God, we choose that. We choose that this morning to abide by your will, to live a life that glorifies your name, 
to live a life, God, where you are evident in the things that we're doing. You are evident in our speech. You're evident in our actions. Take all that we are, Lord. We give it to you. In the name of Jesus.